This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Good morning. I don't think this is on, is it? Is this on? Mark 10, 17 to 27. And Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Thanks, Deb. You know, it seems like from a very early age, we learn to ask for what it is we want. And uh, it seems like some of us uh, develop ways of asking that... uh, Ensure we get what we want. I'll I'll give you an example. Um, There's a story in my family uh, about me and uh, learning to ask for what I want. Uh, Remember the days of the corner drugstore? And uh, they had uh, normally had like a little fountain tucked away in a corner where you could go and they'd make ice cream sundaes or malts or maybe they'd make burgers or some fast foods. And you'd go shopping and then you'd sit up at the counter in that corner drugstore well, there was one in our community, and I used to love to go there. Um, my mom would shop, and when she shopped, I'd go to the toy section, and I'd get bored with the toy section, and I'd go off to some other section. And uh, as you could probably imagine, as a small child, I was a pretty loquacious kid. That means I talked a lot. It's a polite way of saying that. Okay? And my mom used to tell a story of one day how I went and found my way over to the corner soda fountain. And uh, there I sat down, and uh, a lady came up and said something like, Hello, little boy, um, can I help you? And I made very clear to her what it was I wanted. I said, I want a Coke. And the story goes, she said, Well, is your mommy here? I want a Coke. And she was kind of looking, and I guess I got even more demanding. At one point, I, I actually 
um, hit the counter with my hand and said, I want a Coke, like that. Well, there was a young couple that was sitting there and they saw it and essentially whether it was they really wanted to get me a Coke or they just wanted peace and quiet, they wanted appeasement, right? They said, give the kid a Coke. And so my mom was looking all over for me and here she comes up to the counter at the, at the corner drugstore and I was sipping happily on my large Coca-Cola with extra crushed ice, please. Okay? All right? Pretty demanding little kid. And, uh, you know, maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you have developed ways of, of getting what you want. And, you know, that starts when we're really, really little. And obviously it started that way with me. But have you ever thought about how we approach God? What it must sound like when we uh, tell him what it is we want? In fact, I would have to say that most of my conversations, maybe I'm a little more polished than I was at the corner drugstore, right? Uh, most of my conversations with God often center around something I want, uh, something I desire, some area of my life or in the life of someone I care about or an issue or, or something in our country or another place in the world I care about. You know, I, I want him to know what it is I want. And oftentimes I tell him how I think he should provide that and in the way I think he should provide that. Reminds me of something I read recently called, I'll have 10 cents worth of God, please. We're so very good at telling God what we want from him, aren't we? It says, I'll have 10 cents worth of God, please. Uh, I want enough to get a taste, to actually have him, but not so much that it costs me very much. I don't want to get distracted from the things that I, I really want. I don't want to be consumed by a huge dose of God. I want enough to feel pretty good about myself. Enough to make my life respectable and manageable. Enough to get me through the pearly gates. Yes, I'll have ten cents worth of God, please. Have you ever thought that sometimes the fundamental question isn't God, what can you do for me? It's God, what do you want from me? And you see that, that question kind of guides and, and points us to the answer. It's where we start. Kind of helps determine where we end up when we ask that kind of a question. Well, in our passage today, Jesus encounters a man. And this man has an important question, but the answer to the question isn't what he expects. Uh, we learn later on in the passage, he's a man of some substance. In fact, the passage says that he comes to Jesus, he throws himself down at Jesus' feet, kneels before him, and says, Good teacher, 
Good teacher, he asks. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let me give you some background here. We're going to find out this is a very wealthy man. And in this time, in this day, sort of like our time in our day, uh, the wealthiest people could afford the best education. And so often it's the wealthiest people that send their children to the best schools. Okay? Well, it was the same in Jesus' day. And so here's this wealthy man. He by now has heard of Jesus' reputation. Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God. A word has spread, perhaps in a much larger group, he's even heard of Jesus' teaching. He's witnessed Jesus' teaching. And now he, as a wealthy man, wants to come to Jesus and wants Jesus to begin a teacher-student relationship. Wasn't uh, uncommon for a wealthy person to uh, connect with a very influential rabbi. Okay? And had that direct line to that rabbi, and they could go to the rabbi, and the rabbi could educate them as to the ways of being uh, a, a good Jew. Okay? And so this is what we see going on here. Now he says, good teacher. Now this isn't because he necessarily recognizes Jesus' true identity. It's because he wants to come to Jesus, and he wants to greet Jesus with a title good, because it reflects on who he is because only a person who's special only a person of some substance or means only a person of good reputation could go and have a what good teacher so he wouldn't have come and said um, average one of the mill teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life or leftover teacher you know the teacher that Everybody else goes to because they can't afford to. They don't have a good enough reputation to be taught by someone better. So, substandard teacher, what must I do? You see, the title that he addresses Jesus with is really a reflection on who he is. Because only, quote, a good man could have a good teacher. Do you see that? So it's not really like he's trying to recognize who Jesus is. It's through Jesus he's trying to draw attention to who he is. Make sense? Okay. So then he asks the fundamental question. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now understand this. He's a very accomplished person. He's a person of substance. He's a person of means. He's a person of good reputation. He's a person that um, knows people. Okay? He's a person that can use his means to accomplish things, to get things done. He's a person that, hey, any rabbi would want in his synagogue, right? In his place of worship. I mean, this is a guy that the average rabbi would really want close to him because he can help get things done. He's a man of substance and means, a man of influence that could be used for, you know, the interests of the rabbi. And so he says, what must I do? Because this is a man that's used to doing things. He's used to accomplishing things in his own 
uh, merit. He's a self-sufficient person. He's a talented person. He's a gifted person. And up until this time, everything he's wanted, he's been able to receive through his own effort. And so it makes sense that he would ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how many of you were at the Global Leadership Summit that was here at church Thursday and Friday? Some of you were. I'm telling you, it was outstanding. There was a whole faculty of speakers. They just brought it on and brought challenge. And there was so much good information and and good things for everybody. Next year, when you hear about it, I just encourage you to come. In fact, Mary, I understand that we had about a 25% increase in attendance over last year. We had people from all over the Anchorage Bowl come here for this event because we were the only church, the only site in the Anchorage area that, that hosted it. And it was fabulous. So that's just a plug for the Global Leadership Summit, okay? But I took some really good things away, quotes and things. I want to share one with you. There's a man that spoke. His name is uh, uh, Jossie Chaco. And he heads up a, uh, a huge international ministry, and he wants to transform the world. That's the, the goal of this organization through planting churches. And I think they plant 60-some churches a day around the world through this organization. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Anyway, this is what he says. He says, success in God is measured by the level of your surrender to Him not by your achievements. Success in God is measured by your level of surrender to Him, not by your achievements. And, and, and this is what really is at issue here in this encounter with Jesus in this rich man. Which, by the way, if you want to read other accounts of it, Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, and Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Those are parallel passages. So, All three of those Gospels share the same story. It must be important. But here is really the issue. A man comes to Jesus. He's a man of achievement. He asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because he's used to doing things to get what he wants in life. And the answer that Jesus is going to give him isn't so much about what he is to do, but what God wants from him in the sense of God wants not part of him. God wants all of him. And what he's going to find out is this. Is that the kingdom of God isn't a kingdom of doing. It's a kingdom of done. Again, let me explain this to you. Bill Hybels, whose church, Willow Creek, and the Willow Creek Association, puts on this Global Leadership Summit. Uh, He was one of the speakers, and and he said this. He, He gave a contrast on Thursday morning. He said, whenever I share the gospel or the Christian faith with somebody, I write two words on a board or on a piece of paper. One is do, the other is done. And he says, underneath do, I put religion. Underneath done, I put Christianity. And there's a contrast. You see, all world religions, all world religions except for Christianity, right? Um, 
propose a way of earning God's favor, a way of coming into the good graces of God through doing things. The religions of doing. Okay? Do this, do that. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. It's, it's, it's do-based faith. Okay? But it's not faith in what God has already done for you. It's faith in yourself and your ability to do for God and somehow earn His favor. What must I do, he asks, to inherit eternal life? Okay? Versus Christianity, which is done. You see, it's not about what you do. It's what God has already done for you. And what you do is in response to what God has already done, not to earn what God's done. You see, in Christianity, we believe that you're saved by faith through grace. Okay? Not of your own work, not of your own merit. It's a gift from God. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. The truth is, God, in His love... In his unmerited favor, which we call grace, he has done it for you. Do you see the difference? What must I do? No, 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 no. Jossie Chaco, success is not measured, or success is measured by the level of your surrender to him, not by your achievements. This man was very do-oriented. Very do-oriented. And so, Jesus answers and says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is really saying to this good man is, Listen, you're coming here offering to do something, but there really isn't anything you can do that, that is good when it comes to what God has already done. So he's setting him up for where he wants to lead him. Okay? What he's trying to say is, there really isn't anything good enough for what you want. It's something that God is going to do for you. You can't do it for yourself. Your achievements, your wealth, that's not going to work in God's economy. And so Jesus continues, you know the commandments. You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, you should not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, teacher, he declares, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Okay? All these things I've kept since I was a boy. Now, This is a defining moment, and we have been talking about defining moments, haven't we, for the last several weeks. We talked about Esther. We talked about Joseph. Last week we talked about the centurion. And they all came to a crossroads where there was a, a challenge or a faith opportunity. They were at a crossroads of which way they were going to go. And the first three people we looked at chose the right path. So I just thought I'd throw in somebody today that in a defining moment when they reached a crossroads of faith and they were faced with a choice, they're not going to choose wisely. 
as we're going to see. But I want you to see how Jesus responds to his assertion. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these things since I was a boy. Again, look, teacher, I've done all these things. And I continue to do all these things. Which, by the way, okay, he could go on to say which he doesn't. Come on, teacher, you know I've done these things. That's why I'm so wealthy. Look at how God's blessed me. Because I do all the right things and God blesses people who do all the right things. You heard that before? Just because you have a lot of things, it's not indicative necessarily of God's blessing. Okay? In fact, what we're going to find out is things can get in the way of really receiving God's blessing and what he has for us. But look at what he does. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and and loved him. Now, Jesus didn't have disdain for him. Jesus looked at him and and loved him. And it's because Jesus loved him that Jesus is going to tell him the truth. Something he needs to hear about himself. Something he needs to know about God. Something he needs to understand when it comes to God and our place in, in, in God's kingdom. In inheriting eternal life. What's that all about? How does that happen? Jesus, because he loves him, is going to speak truth to him. Jesus wasn't worried, am I going to offend this man of means? Man, what if he doesn't want to follow me anymore? And of course, Jesus' followers are probably thinking, Jesus, Jesus, now listen, don't offend this guy. He's got lots of influence. He's got lots of money. Boy, don't we want him in our group? Wouldn't it be wonderful, Jesus, if he became your student, your disciple? Imagine what he could do for the kingdom of heaven. Right? But Jesus looked at him and loved him. And because Jesus loved him, Jesus was going to tell him the truth. He was going to tell him the truth. And the truth makes us uncomfortable. And this morning, as you hear Jesus telling this man the truth, maybe you're going to be uncomfortable too. But Jesus loves you. And Jesus is looking at you. And He's loving you. And He gives us His Word because He loves us so much He wants us to know the truth. Okay? It's a defining moment. It's a defining moment. And so here, this is what Jesus says. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Okay? He says, go. Sell everything you have. Give it all to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus said this in in another way. 
earlier in Mark chapter 8, just a couple chapters previous, verses 34 through 36. This is what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then Jesus asked this question, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Okay. And that is fundamentally the issue here with this wealthy man. He's gained the whole world. But his answer has everything to do whether or not he's going to forfeit his soul. Okay? So let's get his answer. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. Oh. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. You see, he, he wanted to know what he had to do to, etern- to inherit eternal life. Essentially, Jesus says, it, it's, it's, it's not what you have to do. It's really... What God wants, and it's not about what you're doing. You see, you think you own everything. You think all this is for your own effort and your own achievement. You know, that doesn't impress God. What what God really wants is just you. He wants you to surrender. He wants all of you. And what this man's wealth represented was the part of him that he was holding back. It It was the part of him that he wasn't willing to surrender And Jesus was getting to the point. God wants all of you. He just wants you. And at this, the man's face fell and he goes away. Again, Jossie Chaco says this. He says, The fear of what you have causes you to lose what God has for you. Can you imagine? The fear of losing what he had. Of saying, okay, Lord, you can have have it. The fear of losing all that and what that meant to him and his achievement and his status and all those things. The fear of losing what he had kept him from receiving what God had for him. Do you see that? And what that really contrasts is a as an attitude of scarcity versus an attitude of abundance. You see, in an attitude of scarcity, it's about ownership. Everything I have, I believe, is mine. I've earned it. I've worked hard for it. I've achieved it. And it's mine. And I'm going to hold on to it. And I'm going to determine when and to who and how much I give. Whether that be my time, my treasure, okay, or my talent. An attitude of scarcity is it's mine, I've earned it, I've worked hard for it, and I'm going to choose who and when and how I give it up. And that's all about ownership, when I think it's mine. And there was a scarcity mentality there. Scarcity, I'm going to hold on to this, I can't possibly surrender this, not even to God. Right? Versus an attitude of abundance. And an attitude of abundance isn't based on ownership. It's based on stewardship. 
And so the question is, when it comes to your time, treasure, and talent, what you're surrendering to the Lord, does the Lord give it to you to own or is the Lord giving it to you to steward? Is it yours and you decide how much you're going to give or is it His and He's entrusted it to you to use wisely for His purpose? You see the difference? And and an attitude of abundance is an attitude in which a person lives life with open hands. Open hands. You know why? Because it's not mine to begin with. It belongs to the Lord. Whether it's my time or my treasure or my talent, I'm going to live with open hands because God owns it. He's placed it in my hands. He's placed it in my care. And He's given me the responsibility of stewardship, of using it wisely for His purposes. Do you see the difference? Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did the Lord do with Adam and Eve? He gave them stewardship over creation. It wasn't theirs. It's His. But He asked them to steward it wisely. It's a a theological term here. It's called shared dominion. God shares His dominion of creation with humanity and says, steward it wisely. And this is what's at odds here. Are we going to live with an attitude of scarcity or an attitude of abundance? Because if there's anything in my life that I'm holding back and I'm not wanting to surrender... Often, the motivation or the reason behind that is fear. Because I'm afraid I'm going to lose something. And can I really live life as if I've lost it already because it's not mine, it's God's. And that's what's going on here. And of course, Jesus goes on. And after His disciples see this, they're amazed at His words. Right? Jesus looks around and he said to his disciples, How hard is it for a rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter through the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? That's a good question. And this is the point. This gets back to the original question the man asked. Who then can be saved? And Jesus is going to tell them. With human beings, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible. Here's the point. There isn't anything that you or I could do. There isn't anything that this rich man can do. His achievement, his wealth, his influence, none of those things could earn him God's favor. That grace is about God's undeserved favor. It's not about what we do, it's about what is done for us. And what Jesus is saying is, God can do the impossible. You see, everybody else thinks it's what you do that causes you to inherit the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying, it's what God does and what He alone can do that gives you the gift of eternal life. Do you see that? And that's what Jesus is saying. John Maxwell is another speaker at the the Global Leadership Summit. He says this, It gets to that scarcity and abundance. Ownership, stewardship. It's what I have to do versus what God has already done. What God's already given me. It's 100% His. 
Not only my time, my treasure, my talent, my life, it all belongs to Him. And so I can live abundantly, with hands open, not fists that are clenched and grasping. John Maxwell says this, when you change from thinking from what am I going to receive to what am I going to give, your entire life begins to turn around. You know that. And you see, generosity, an attitude of abundance, it's liberating. It's liberating. But the attitude of scarcity enslaves us. It truly does. And so, Jesus, He sets the example, doesn't He? Jesus surrendered all. Jesus gave it all. Jesus understood who He was and to whom He belonged. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we read something about Jesus. Let me bring that up. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Do you have that on there? No. Alright, I'm going to read it to you then. Paul writes this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty, right, we might become rich. You see, Jesus invites us into His own life. It's a, not a life of acquiring. It's not a life of achievement. It's a life of giving up, giving away. It's a life of surrender. Now for you and I, that seems so countercultural. That seems so difficult. How in the world can I do that? Well, it again gets back to Jesus' statement. With man, everything's impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. You see, it's the Lord who comes into our life when we surrender our lives to Him. It's the Lord who comes into those areas of life that we've been grasping and holding on to and we've had an attitude of scarcity. When we let go, it's the Lord who says, Ah, thank you for releasing what was mine to begin with. And it's the Lord by the power of Holy Spirit who lives and works in our lives that empowers us and graces us To live as followers of Jesus and to live as Jesus lived. And that's the invitation that Jesus gave to the rich young man. Come, follow me. Come, live as I live. But in order to do that, you have to be all in. And all in isn't about what you can buy. It's not about what you can earn. It's not about what you do. It's about what God has done for you. And all He wants is you. All of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. That's a challenge, Lord. It really is for all of us. And this morning, Father, as we continue in worship...
we ask for your spirit to convict us. If there's an area, Lord, that we're still depending on ourselves or our achievement, if, if we're uncertain about eternal life and we think somehow it's based on more of what we have to do, Lord, this morning, would you help us to release ourselves, all of ourselves, and give ourselves totally and completely to you. Lord, we can't do that in our own strength. It's impossible. But with you at work in our lives through your Holy Spirit, with you helping us understand it's not about ownership, it's about stewardship. With you, Lord, we want to release all of ourselves, our time, our treasure, our talent, and follow you. We want to be rich in the things of heaven. God, would you help us do that today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.